Welcome to the Portland Pentecostals podcast. We're happy you've decided to join us as we build a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Enjoy the message. Thank you for being here to listen and to find the conclusion of the matter. It's not, uh, when I teach, I usually don't teach everything there is to know about a subject because I don't know that. Number one. And number two, there's no way I could exhaustively teach something uh, because it would get tedious. And so what we're doing tonight is we're concluding uh, our observations on the sovereignty of God. And we went through the book of Habakkuk and all the way through it. And then we decided that we would speak about a few individuals that observed or acknowledged the sovereignty of God. In other words, that he is king, he's Lord, and if he's sovereign, that, that means whatever he wants to do, he can do in my life, and whatever he sees best to do is really best for my life. And when we say, I'm not going to do what you want, me to do or I'm not going to allow you to do what you want to do in my life, we're basically saying, God, uh, I'm smarter than you. So we are uh, committing idolatry. In other words, we're saying, I'm putting my will, my intelligence, my strength above yours. And you and I know that we do not want to do that. And last week we concluded with a couple of things. We, we talked about observing what's going on in life, questioning, waiting, and answers. That's the cycle of life. And the questioning can be complaining to God, whining to God, asking God, reasoning with God. Because prayer is, it ends up to be all those things. Some days we complain. And uh, God wants to say, quit being a whiner, baby. At least that's what I think he says to me. And uh, just move on. And I've said this often. I just wish that I had uh, gotten a hold of that uh, uh, moveon.org address online. Where is they're talking about liberalism and destroying our culture. But if we can just learn to embrace what has happened... Not judge it right or wrong, but just say, this is what has happened in my life, and I can't live there. I can't go back and live there. And every time we visit there, we live there. Every time we let our mind go back, and uh, uh, it's like the illustration I told you of learning to ride a bicycle, and I, I didn't fall off the bicycle ever while I was learning to ride a bicycle. But I've got a lot of scratches on my arms and legs and face because my siblings would push me down the sidewalk and we lived in a, a little tiny house, maybe about 600 square foot house, way back on the lot. And it was a long sidewalk. But the problem was that where they had positioned the house was the center of the lot, but there was also a crabapple tree in the center of the center of the lot. And so they didn't want to tear the crab or cut the crabapple tree down, so they just made the sidewalk go around the crabapple tree. So it, you go a certain distance and there's a 45 and you go over and reconnect and you can hit the front gate. But I didn't want to hit the front gate, so my my siblings would tell me, look, we're just going to push you and just 
go into the bushes. And we had lilac hedges all the way along the front of the house. Well, that worked. I never fell over once. But I got scratched up a lot. Now, I had a choice of the rest of my life when I'm riding a bike thinking about, ooh, I'm going to get scratched up, I'm going to get scratched up. And I probably just would have looped. You know, you can get on a loop just like you put a song on a loop. Sometimes we can put a memory on a loop. We can put an expectation on a loop or an unrealized expectation. And that's not healthy for us. But once we've conferred with God and His Word, and found the answer, and as we said, sometimes it's in his word, sometimes it's a song, sometimes it's a prophetic utterance, oftentimes it's what we hear inside of ourselves because God is speaking to us because that Holy Ghost lives inside of us, that same spirit of Christ Jesus, then we move on. And we finished with the words of Habakkuk after he realized that what Judah was going through and about to go through was not the end of God's will for his people. God always has the best in mind for you and I. And sometimes that takes a little bit of refining. The Bible says, buy of me gold tried in the furnace seven times over, purified. I read an article recently written by a silversmith saying the only way that they can know if silver is purified is they heat it and scoop it off, and when they can see the reflection in the silver, they know it's purified. So unless you look like Jesus all the way around, he'll probably heat it up again in your life. And then he'll let all the stuff float to the top that shouldn't be there, and then he'll scoop it off. And we sure don't want to become reprobate silver, but we want to be silver that can be purified or gold. And so Habakkuk ended with verse number 17 of chapter 3 saying, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He makes my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk upon the high hills. And we stop there momentarily to explain that he's saying it's all about he's going to rejoice in the Lord. Not in what's happening, but in his relationship with God. If we can learn to rejoice in our relationship with God, a lot of things get straightened out. It's like a, a marriage. If you can just get a good marriage and you can rejoice in one another, the bills are paid easily sometimes, not so much at other times. The pipe breaks in the house, uh, the toilet cracks, uh, uh, the sink runs over, the garbage disposal gets clogged, uh, the kids do something stupid, you do something stupid. But if you have a good relationship with those you work with, you make it through. And that's the way it is with Jesus Christ. And then he ended with these words, to the chief musician with the string, my string instruments. In other words, he said, I want everybody to hear what I'm saying. You all need to hear that we just need to rejoice no matter what's going on. And we rejoice in the Lord of our salvation. And then we did conclude by saying, he which has begun a good work in you will perform it. Till when? Till he comes back again. In other words, God's still working on you and me. And so today we will examine the lives of a few individuals who understood and submitted to the sovereignty of God. 
The first one I want to talk about is out of the oldest book in the Bible. It's Job chapter number one. And some of you may not have read it because you thought it was Job and you didn't need another one. And so you just skipped over that one. It is said that Job probably lived before Noah. And he was one of the wise men of the East. He was one of the wealthiest men of the East. And it wasn't his wisdom or his wealth that God derided. In fact, God did not deride him at all. But the Satan said, the only way, reason he likes you is, and he, you, I can't do anything, is you put a hedge around him. Isn't that nice to know that God does put hedges? That's the admission of Satan. He comes before the Lord with the, the sons of God, which are the angels, and it's like, hey, what's going on? What are you doing here? Well, I'm asking you permission to attack that guy named Job. You got a hedge around him, and, and the, the Lord says, no, 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 you could do this to him. And he slowly lets him in, and, and he lets him touch uh, first his possessions, and then he lets him touch his family, and eventually he lets him touch his body. And it's a progression thing. It's not like from zero to 60 in 2.9 se seconds. It's not a supercar ride. It's a slow roll with God most of the time in our life. And the, the bad thing about that is, is it takes a long time to get over sometimes too. Just as slow as the roll coming in was, it's going to be that way going out. And then we read what happened when God finally opened up the gates in Job 1 and 13. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone am escaped. And while he was yet speaking, he didn't even have time to respond. Sometimes life's that way, and it's after the fact, then we begin to complain because it just keeps coming out. It's like drinking out of a fire hose. Please don't try that. You'll look worse than you do today. It was just, you know, it's just like, you, you can't swallow. And sometimes life comes at us that way. While he was yet speaking, the fire of another came and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans made out through made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, there came another to him, saying, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking in their old, eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young men, and they are all dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. So, that's a bad day. This wasn't a bad year or month. It was a bad day. One day. And if you can think back in your life, I challenge you to find one day that was that bad. Yeah, we had days where we lost our job, but we just lost our job. 
We had a day when a loved one died, but our house didn't burn down or crash in. Or uh, We had a day where we lost a loved one, but we didn't lose all of our possessions in the same day. Or we lost our possessions, but we didn't do, lose a loved one. But it, it's just like a whirlwind that comes in. And it's interesting how descri he describes him that the fire of God was fallen upon the sheep. So that's the way the servant observes it, is that this is God's fault. And we know what Job did in verse 20. Then Job arose and ran his mantle and shaved his head, which is a sign of mourning. And he fell upon the ground and worshipped. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. That's... Wow. He did not understand. I don't know if he truly ever understood because he loses his kids. Yes, he has more kids, but you can't just replace the kid. You could just have more kids. So go ahead and try. But you can't replace the child. You can't replace that individual you lost to the hands of death. You can have more, but that's it. I don't know if he totally ever understood, but he's writing out of his heart and out of his experience and out of his feeling. But he didn't curse God. Instead, he worshiped God. He knew that the way through was to acknowledging him. He understood that the only way that he could make it through is he had to realize who was in charge. So he's acknowledging the sovereignty of God by worshiping him. When we just worship God, that's why when we come into the house of God and everything hasn't been perfect that day and we start worshiping, I watched you on Sunday shouting and dancing and clapping and crying and bowing and you're just saying, okay, I shut all of that out. I'm here just to worship God. And oh, what a change by the time we leave the house of God sometimes as our circumstances or situation are pretty well static. But our encounter with God, our relationship with God is refreshed and renewed. And that's enough. Amen. At least for the day. At least for the moment. But that's why we seek Him daily. That's why we encounter Him daily through His Word and His presence. So the Bible says in all this He did not sin or charge God foolishly. He knew that the only... And, and he, he was not swayed by his friends. He prayed for his friends eventually. And we're not going to go into all the details, but I'm just giving you a, a, a snapshot of this. But I, I want us to think about this. He didn't have a Bible. It's not because they didn't have it in his language. It wasn't written yet. He didn't have any Ten Commandments. He didn't have any written promises of a redeemer. All that he would have had is the oral communication from previous generations. Maybe that hearing about the, the destruction of the relationship of God with the man, first man and woman and the promise of a redeemer and the promise of one that would deliver them. But he didn't have what we have. And he sure didn't have the Holy Ghost. Tell you what, that's convicting to me. Because I got the spirit of the almighty God inside of me. And sometimes I go. <laughs> and if I just connect with that Holy Spirit inside of me. 
and reaffirm the promises of the Word of God, those two things would overshadow the immediate happenings of my life. Here's the thing is that, you know, we, we sing the old song, we don't, but we used to. Uh, we'll understand it better by and by. We'll ask him all the reasons why. I don't think so. That's just my opinion. We'll know even as we are known. We'll see him face to face and say, who cares? I'm here, man. It's like going around the block and turning wrong. And finally you get to the restaurant and you're not trying to unwind where you made a bad turn when dinner's sitting before you. You're porking out. You're saying, well, I'm going to feed myself. And, and, and getting lost is, is not the matter anymore because you've gotten to the destination desired. One day we're going to see him as he is and we're going to bow before him and we're going to cast our crowns at his feet and we're going to sing the song of redemption. We're going to sing the song of the Lamb. We're going to rejoice and it's all going to be over. There's no way that Job could have conceived that maybe God was going to double what he had. You see, we have this to look at and see how when it all unwound. And his, uh, have you ever had a Job's friend? You read the story and they're all telling him what he's done wrong and what he ought to change. And he really should repent and he really should check his heart. It's like we were telling uh, years ago about the name it and claim, or weeks ago about the name it and claim it, where my wife got the call from the lady and she wasn't being healed. And they told her there must be sin in your life because if, if there wasn't sin in your life, you'd be healed automatically. Just tell the Apostle Paul that. That's a lie. We've got to know what God says. We've got to know what His Word says. And we've got to know what He's personally saying to us. And it will never conflict with His Spirit or His Word. But it will be reaffirmed by His Spirit and by His Word. And finally, God says, if you'll pray for your friends, if you'll ask me to forgive them, then I'll take care of you. And in all of this, rather than just letting uh, Job go and letting him fall to the bottom without a safety net, God says, I'm going to make some good out of this. Because all things work together for the good that them that love God and are they called according to his purposes. God says, I can, I can make some good out of this. I can make something positive out of this. And so he got Job to uh, look at inside and he got Job uh, to examine his motives. Uh, he got Job to exa examine what he really loved. Was it because God had given him all these things and all these people or was it all about him and God? And I talk about Job, first of all, because it was very singular and it was very personal. It was all about his relationship with God. It starts there. And again, this is the oldest book in the Bible. Now we're going to look at some other places where people acknowledge the sovereignty and surrender to the sovereignty of God. But it first has to start with me, with you. To say, like he did in Job chapter number 13 and verse number 15. I do it because though he slay me, yet will I wait for and trust him. And behold, he will slay me. I have no hope. Nevertheless, I will maintain and argue my ways before him and even to his face. Now, it's not just, this is not just the cynic. 
Listen to when he's going to argue with God. He said, this will be my salvation that a polluted and a godless man shall not come before him. He says, when it's all over, God and I are going to have a talk about this. But till then, I just have to go with the flow. I just have to ride along with whatever God has written into my life. Now, every life has pain in it. Every life has loss in it. But every life has gain in it. And every life has joy in it, especially when we come to God. And one of the wonderful things is just to be able to rejoice in the God of my salvation. It doesn't matter if you're sick or you just went through surgery or you got run over by a Mack truck. It doesn't matter if you, if you lost your job. It just doesn't matter as long as you know your relationship is secure with Jesus Christ, when it's all over, it begins again, but it begins in a sinless world. It begins in a place where there's no tempter. It begins in a place where we will be perfectly executing the will of God for our lives. And he who is faithful over little shall be made ruler over much. Somehow, though he didn't have a written word, Job understood this. He said, one day I'm going to stand before God. He says, yet in my flesh I shall see him, I shall behold him, and not another. You know, one day I'm going to stand there. Everyone is going to, but nobody's ever going to be able to stay standing except for the righteous. He knew he had to live righteously. So we, you and I, have to ask ourselves, are, am I living righteously and godly in this present world? Am I living like Jesus wants me to live? And of course, he didn't even have Jesus, and we talk about Jesus because we know him by that name. But am I living like God wants me to live? Have I surrendered completely my life to him? This is where Satan gets advantage of you and I, is if he knows we're not totally surrendered. He'll find the place. He'll watch you. He'll stalk you. He knows your downsittings and your uprisings. He knows your history. And if it's not Satan, it's one of his minions. They're assigned and they're watching. But don't worry. They're outnumbered two to one. So we're good. We're going to be fine. And, and uh, every demon that has an assignment, if he has five people to, to take care of, the angels only have two and a half. I don't know if you're the half or the two or the one, but they're taking care of them. It's God's looking out for us. The angel of the Lord encamp around about those that fear him. Job didn't know that by writing, but we have the writing of God saying, I'm here. I am so thankful for the word of God. I'm so thankful that Job whined and complained and wrote it down and told his whole story in detail. I'm so thankful he became transparent enough that I can identify with him. And it doesn't matter if you've just begun your journey with Jesus Christ. You've just received the Holy Ghost just a few days ago. Or you just were baptized a month ago. Or you've been living for God for 58 years. It doesn't matter. The enemy wants to get you. He would deceive the very elect if it were possible. But I'll tell you, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed out begging bread. God always takes care of his own. Because he has a plan that's bigger than the plan of the enemy. The enemy just wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But God wants to preserve. And he wants to resurrect us with a new body for his eternal purpose. Then there's somebody else that 
understood the sovereignty of God and understood that it wasn't just about him. His name was Noah. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 13, God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And then he said in verse 18, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. So instead of just being the sovereignty or the will or the purpose of God for Job's life, now God says, I have a plan for your family, mister. So I want to talk to you, gentlemen that are heads of household. Some of you may be single women. You have children. You're the head of your household because there's not a man in the house. But God has a plan for our families. And we have to include them in the plan of God. You know, kids don't understand everything, but they deserve an explanation for a lot of things. I didn't understand all the sickness that came to me when I was a child, and I mentioned that list of diseases that we had, and so I'm vaccinated for life, I think, for everything but stupidity, and we'll get there. And I remember, I can remember many times it was my parents laying hands on me and praying for me. And I remember the preacher coming over when we all had the croup. <laughs> now, this is crazy, so it sounds crazy. We're all under the little dinette, you know, it's that model-looking gray and white dinette that matches the floor that's got the paisleys in it that swirled and all of that kind of stuff. The old people will remember that stuff. Is that I remember that dinette. And I remember mom backing the chairs away and throwing a sheet over that table and sticking the vaporizer under there and putting Vicks in there. Oh, yeah. Vicks and mercuricum or methylate would cure almost everything in the world. And what wouldn't cure that a little Tabasco sauce or soap on your mouth would cure that. Is there, mom and dad had home remedies for everything. It would work. And I remember mom sticking that thing under. And can you imagine four little kids under there? Probably at that time, the youngest was two and the oldest was two, four, six, eight. We were about two years apart. Four kids under the dinette? We're not talking dining room table. We're talking dinette. <laughs> that if six of you sat at it, it was crowded. And it barely fit in the kitchen. And if you had to get up in the middle of the meal and get at, be excused, you bumped into dad as you were trying to get behind dad to get into the doorway to the living room so you could go do whatever you needed to do. But I remember the pastor coming and mom peeling back the sheet and having us all line up. 
anointing, 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 anointing in Jesus' name and praying that reverent but God-expectant prayer over all of us. So my parents didn't explain to me all of this. They showed to me, look, we're going to pray because you're sick. I didn't know James 5. I had no clue about Acts 19 and 14 at that time. I just knew that every time I was sick, I would smell olive oil. Because it could cure anything. And even when I was not behaving like I should, I would smell olive oil because they'd call me before the church and the pastor would anoint me with oil. And sure enough, the prayer of faith would save the sick. At least they thought I was sick. Sometimes they sent the other little kids out into the Sunday school room for somebody to watch them because they didn't want whatever was in me to get in them. And that was the philosophy. And they anointed me with oil and prayed for me. So don't give up on those kids. Just keep praying for them. Amen. It, it somehow, it took a while, but it worked. Reminds me of the story that Brother J.T. Pugh said. It told, he said there was a lady that kept coming up for prayer, and he heard through the grapevine that she said, he's not using enough oil. <laughs> so he said, you're right. I went and got a 32-ounce bottle of Crisco. And he said, when she came up the next time, I dumped it over her head. He said, I don't know if she was healed or not, but she never came back to be anointed for that need. <laughs> That's a little over the top, so don't let me hear you complaining about not enough oil. <laughs> But I knew by example that you pray for the sick. I knew by example that you could pray and God would provide things that... So, Sister Patty, she was the lady that gave, my guitar, gave me my first guitar. You see me playing the guitar lately? One of my siblings broke the neck of it somehow and it's just... That was the end of my guitar playing career after about two years. But she gave me my first... Guitar. She had this old 58 Ford Galaxy, big old boat. It was kind of that peachy color and black. And she'd drive that to church every week. And her husband, uh, Mr. Petty, never came to church with her. But she lived out in the country. And I remember her testifying one day, saying that she ran out of gas in the middle of the country. And her cell phone didn't work. Yeah. When we lived in Canada, there were no cell phones, and I ran out of gas in the country. You better hope some kind soul comes along. And so all she had in the trunk was water. So she got that water over the, uh, out of the trunk and prayed over it in Jesus' name and poured it into the car and started it up and drove to the gas station. Now, it should have done some damage, but that was all that she had. But you know what that did to me? I remember running out of gas. My wife and I were in this, the bomb of a car, a 1978 Chevette. Remember the first time I saw one advertised, I thought it said Corvette. And the price, and I'm going, dude, I'm getting one of those. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> It was the four-cylinder oil-burning Chevette. I kept that car for seven years. Somehow it lasted. It was amazing. Except for one time I'm going up the hill and shifting along, and the shifter came out in my hand. 
So when we got to her mom and dad's house, we found a cotter pin and fixed it all up until we could get to the store. But we were driving home from Montana, and we came. I thought, I'm going to get fuel in Ritzville. And when we were in Ritzville, there was nothing open. And I said, well, I'll just head down toward the Tri-Cities. There's got to be something along there. And we pulled into one town and another town, and there was nothing there. And it was wintertime. We were coming home from Christmas with Mom and Dad. And so all of a sudden, it <coughs> and we're 35 miles out of Richland. In the middle of the night. In the middle of the night, yes. With kids in the back. But guess what I found? I found a little bit of gas line antifreeze. And I prayed over it in Jesus' name and popped the top and you could hear it go tinkle, 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 tinkle. And got in and in Jesus' name started it and drove 35 miles till we got to Pasco, I guess it was, and pulled into the station and filled up with gas. Why? Because somebody exampled that somewhere along the... They realized there was a sovereign God. There was an in-control being. And we want him to be in control in an emergency. But that's why we need to let him be in control of the things that we don't want him to be in control of. So that when we really need him, he will step in. And so... Noah went and searched for the materials. He cut, he gathered, he built. Something struck me today as I was rereading this. The Bible says, and pitch it inside and out. Do you know what? Why would they have pitch? It never rained. It's not like the roofs leaked. I don't know what they used pitch before then. Maybe they made water barrels or something like that. But he got it all together and he worked on it. And guess what? They worked on it for 125 years without God saying, attaboy. Without God saying, oh, here, I got something else to say for you. Now, that's about a little over almost one-fifth of his life. He lives with God out say, without God saying one thing. This is when you know he believed in the sovereignty of God. In other words, God, your plan is best. When God says, start on the path, we stay on the path until he tells us to get off the path. When he says, turn left, you just go that way until he says, turn right. When he says, speed up or slow down, you just obey the voice of God. Our problem is, is we want step-by-step instructions. We want to be able to Google God. And him say, oh, I understand what God was saying there. And not everything on Google is, you know, reliable. But this is what it says in Hebrews eleven seven. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of the things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. So he heard one initial warning from God. God gave him the plan. He acted on God's plan. And he knew his actions would determine the destiny of his family. So he included his family in those actions. That's what I was talking about when I said my parents prayed for me. When Sister Petty prayed over that gallon or jug of water before she poured it in her car. And you better pray even after you do. Because it could kill your car. But God did the miraculous. 
Are you building an ark to save your house? Your family has to see that you believe in the sovereignty of God. And most of that's by action, not by blah, blah, blah. You can read them the Bible story at night, but if you don't show them to trust in God the next day, that Bible study can, Bible story can get erased. We've got to tell our kids what God has done. I've got to tell you another story while I'm thinking about that. Is God, well, my wife got up one day, and I think it was you that discovered the, that the furnace was just going click, 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 the thermostat. And it kept going out, and we'd relight it and relight it. It was an oil furnace. It was a gas furnace, but it was like 1924, I think. Maybe 1927. Anyway, this was like 1992 or three. So it's old. Anybody have an old furnace? They say a 25 or 30-year-old furnace, you need to replace them. And so uh, uh, she called a Northwest Natural Gas, and they came out and looked at it, and they peeked around, and she's standing there, and he says, oh, it's got a cracked heat exchanger. You've got to shut the furnace down. So we did, and for a couple years, we didn't have a furnace. We had a, few, a baseboard heater or two. I remember filling the, hot, the two liter water bottles with hot water and giving it to the kids to take to bed, hug, and, and uh, it, w- it was cold. It wasn't necessarily fun. We didn't whine or we didn't complain and, and we just said, well, this is the path God put us on and we don't have the money to buy a new furnace. I mean, there's only 20, 30 people in the church and we could barely make it ends meet, you know. It was like stretching every month to make sure that the rope connected and, and that's just the way it was until one of the ladies in the church who was, now, don't underestimate people, okay? She was paranoid schizophrenic. Her husband was manic depressive. Imagine that. Guess where they met? Yeah, you can guess. They were married. And she came up to us one day and said, I'm going to pray for your furnace. And I don't know what Yvonne thought, but I thought, whatever. She said, thank you. Yeah. Sometimes I don't have faith, but they have faith. And she prayed for our furnace, and we were having a snowstorm or something. It was really cold, and it was click, click, click. When I got up early in the morning, and I said to my wife, well, turn it on, and let's see if it goes back off again. So I lit the pilot, and, you know, make sure that you don't pass out or anything like that. And it ran all day long. So she called Northwest Natural Gas back. Somebody came out and checked, and they said, wow. For a 70-year-old furnace, this is in really good shape. It's perfect. And she asked him, what about the heat exchanger? It's fine. God's a pretty good welder. He's a replacer. He doesn't just give us a new heart. He can, he can put a new exchanger in there. He can, he can grow a limb. We've seen that happen here too. It, God's a couple of times. God's a miracle worker. And God healed our furnace. And we sold the building about three years later. And guess what? When they examined it, the the furnace was broke. (laughs) And they wanted money knocked off the price so they could replace the furnace. And we knocked the price off. But we used it for several years. Our kids know about that. We talk about that. We don't talk about it every day. But it's like I said the, uh, last week, uh, just never, never get tired of your story. Tell somebody, God's a miracle worker. He's still a miracle worker. And I walk through life and sometimes I forget those stories. 
and then we'll be talking and somebody will remind us. My wife will say, well, remember when? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. God's still working. And so he took his family on a journey, and we know the story is that the end of the story is they got in the boat and nobody else did. It doesn't matter if the world goes to hell in the flood. Your family can be saved, sir. Your family can be saved, ma'am. How do you do it? You answer, you listen to the voice of God, and you obey the voice of God, and you tell them what you're doing. We're building an ark because one day the destruction's going to come, but we're going to be all right because we're going to have a boat to float away in. That's why you tell your kids, this is why we live the way we do. This is why we speak the way we do. This is why we act the way we do we do. This is why we shut this out of our life. This is why we embrace this in our life. Why? Because Jesus is coming again and we want to be ready when Jesus comes again. And if we're ready when he comes, it doesn't matter what others do. If they're not ready, I'm going to be ready. I'm either going to be caught up in the twinkling of an eye. I'm either going to beat you or just be right behind you. One or the other depends on if I die before or not. But he built it to the saving of his household. And then there's one more individual that I want to talk about for about 10 minutes. And his name's Joe Sif. He had a personal dream. So Joe, it was just all about him. But we know that God gave him double for everything that he lost. It's like I should have said that earlier, but I forgot that because... It's not about the double. And it's not like God said, if you hang in there, I'll give you double, baby. It's not like sow $20 in the offering and you'll get 200 next week. No. That's not the way it works. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. We read that last week. But it's like, God, I trust you. You know, Holy Ghost is pretty smart. If you'll just listen to his, him, if you'll listen to the voice of God. I think my wife said, no, he's very smart. He's not pretty smart. He's very smart. He's, that's the spirit of God. He knows all things. And so God can tell you, warn you. It makes me think of uh, my acquaintance, Brother Randy Keyes, pastored for years in Modesto. He's the bishop now. And Brother Johnson is the pastor now. And I, I remember him telling the story is that they had an old rattle trap church and they outgrew it and outgrew it. And these, these old ladies in the church said, God's going to give us that theater there, pastor. And he said, how do you know? He says, we've been praying for seven years for God to give us that theater. And it was built right on an interchange. Uh, well, instead, they bought, uh, they bought a piece of property. Uh, and because God moved him to buy a piece of property. And when they did, he had no idea they were going to put an interchange there. And a few years later, they paid him four times what he paid for that property. And he never developed it. And they used the money to buy the theater. And they ended up in the theater, and it was a beautiful church to seat about 1,200 people, and they grew and had revival and blessed people all over the world. And he says, people ask me, how'd you figure that out? And he says, it wasn't me. I was just listening to the voice of God. I'm not that smart. We're not that smart. I'm not saying we're dumb, but we don't know the end from the beginning. But we know the one that knows the end from the beginning, and only God knows. 
So Joseph, he has this personal dream in chapter 37 of Genesis in verse number 5. And he had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. And he said, please hear this dream which I've dreamed. We were binding sheaves in the field and then behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. Shut up. I mean, this is not the eldest brother. This is little punk brother. Now, he was seen differently by his father because he was the eldest child of his favorite wife. Don't go there. But that's just the way it was. And so, it was all these other ten sons were meaningless compared to Joseph because he was the eldest son of his favorite. And so, his intention was to give the the kingdom to his son. It was to make him ruler over the kingdom. And now he's saying, I have this dream. And then he has this stupid dream where the sun and the moon and the stars bow down to him. He's favored by his earthly father. He's been given this coat of many color. He saw what God had planned for him and he declared what God had planned for him. And he was ridiculed by others. Don't ridicule the dreams of your brothers and sisters because God can do in a flash what we've been waiting on for a lifetime. Amen. Don't ever turn it around. You know, I've had, I, I have a dream and I, I, I have a dream of where God's going to place us and what he's going to do in the church and I still have that dream and I've shared it a few times and we're not there yet but we're on our way to there but God can just in one moment say, oh, and you go, Oh, I dreamed about this before. It's kind of like that deja vu thing. You forget you prayed for it, and then God answers. You forget what was spoken into your life, and then all of a sudden, that word of God that's reverberating around the universe because words never die comes to rest in your heart, and the fulfillment is there. Others envied him, sneered at him, hated him, isolated him, sold him into slavery, betrayed him, and forgot about him pretty much. They even, they didn't lie about him, but they just did say, Dad, hey, we found this coat in the field. Do you recognize it? Oh, yeah, that's Joseph. Surely a wild beast has gotten to him. And they just let God, they just let Dad believe whatever was in his imagination. But you see, our imagination can be much more devious than reality. He's thinking, my kid's dead, and a wild beast ate him up and dragged him off. He was, he was alive and well. Well, he wasn't well, but he was alive. So don't let your dreams die. Realize that we've got to get out of this cycle of looking for the worst. That's why I've said sometimes I just turn the news off. I'm done. And I know they have this stupid algorithm on, on uh, YouTube where you watch a couple of videos about something. Then it, it just fills your box. And I said, where's all of my car shows? And I have to go back up to the top and open the car show thing and start watching a few of them. And then it gluts my, you know, it says, yeah, I got them back. And that's what the enemy does, is if he can get you and I to believe his lies, he just feeds us another one and another one. And, and this lie is based upon that lie, upon that lie, upon that lie, rather than the prophetic word of God speaking into our lives. And then a fulfillment comes in a prophecy, and we build faith upon faith, glory to glory, strength to strength. Where's your mind going? 
Brother Anthony was talking about a book that he's read and Sister Hansen read, Who Switched Off My Brain? Is that what it's called? And he says that, that those protons huh, switched on my brain, that our thoughts... You guys go out there and talk about it. <laughs> and what does it say about our thoughts? And this is a neurological scientist. They've looked at it. So negative thoughts are deformed protons. Positive thoughts are healthy protons. And if you think about those negative thoughts often enough, it actually deforms your DNA. So I said, what about the positive? He said, it does the opposite. You know? You know, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Get off the negative train track. Get on to the positive. And we're not talking about ignoring reality, but reality is the things that are not seen, not the things that are seen. The reality is, I'm a child of God. You're a child of God. We're blood-bought. We're washed in the blood of the Lamb. We're renewed. We're made brand new in Christ Jesus. And everybody could be saying, nah, 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 nah. Gonna miss, gonna miss. Hey, bada, 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 bada. Remember when Scal came to church here? I said, well, he's an NBA player. And he, he, I said, what about those guys waving those big tubes? He said, they feel good about it, but I don't even see it because we've shot that basket so many times. We've zoned them out, and I'm just standing at the free throw line looking at the bucket. And he said, it's cool for them, but I even forgot they do that. Why? Because if we can stay focused on, I'm going to make it, it's going to be all right, I'm going to get that bucket, I am going to overcome. So Joseph was carried away captive, he was sold once again, his master was the general of Egypt, and he was made a common slave. I can't find any record of Joseph complaining. His journey was not smooth. But he rose through the ranks, and now he was in charge. But then the boss's wife came at him and said, Hey, kitty, kitty. Hey, you're good looking. You're in good shape. I wonder what you'd look like without your tunic. I'm just letting my brain go, okay? Stop right there, okay? Okay. <laughs> but it says she was after him. It wasn't just once. That's why I'm telling you. I don't know where it started. I know where it ended. But she was persistent. Mama wanted what she wanted. But he said no. Again, he didn't have a Bible. He didn't have the Ten Commandments. He didn't have, thou shalt not commit adultery or fornication. 
He didn't have, don't covet your neighbor's manservant nor his maidservant. He didn't have any of that, but he had a relationship with Almighty God. He had a dream. He had an understanding that God had a plan bigger for him than what he was fulfilling at that moment. And he knew if he violated his conscience and his relationship with God, it could be short-circuited. And finally, he ran away and left his outer cloak in her hands. And when daddy got home, he says, oh, fine servant you had. Look, he came in here after me, but I took his coat and said, get out of here. And he got sent to prison. Crazy, isn't it? Life isn't fair. Get over it. <laughs> it's just not fair. I mean, how is it that the tree falls on your roof and not the neighbor's? And it's their tree. Just fall on your house. My neighbor probably felt that way. Parts of my tree fell on his house twice. I was kind enough to pay his deductible, but now the tree's safe. But life isn't always fair. You're going to get laid off, and the jerk doesn't get laid off. How does that happen? The guy that's living unrighteously and the womanizer still works there. And you're thinking, God, I'm living right. But Joseph went to prison. But I understand this. You see, there's a couple phrases in his statement. He, when he's being pursued by this woman, he said, how can I sin against God? And how can I sin against my master who trusts me with everything? And all he cares about and all he asks me about is, Joseph, what are we having for dinner tonight? He understood that his honor and his respect and not violating the trust of his fellow man that had put their trust in him was so critically important and that he understood that he just couldn't walk out from God. He's 750 miles away from home. He's a world away. He couldn't just go wait for two hours in line at the airport and puddle jump for three hours and get off and say, here we are, baby. No, it was weeks of travel to get him away. He was in a land where they didn't know who Jehovah God was. They were heathens. And obviously some of them were living that kind of a lifestyle. But it wasn't about them and how they were living. It was about the dream. It was about the sovereignty of God. It was about the plan of God for his life. And he says, ah, I'm going to hang on to that plan. And he hung on to that plan. We know he got thrown in prison from it. But there again, he rose to the top and he was put in charge of all the other prisoners. Which would you rather be? A man that's committed adultery or somebody that's living righteously in prison? Depends on if you trust the sovereignty of God. If you believe that God's really in charge and has a plan that's bigger than what man has for you. Because... Eventually, that woman was going to die, and eventually, Potiphar was going to die. But there he is, and he becomes in charge, and then one of his buddies is saying, well, I had a dream last night, because he says, uh, you look disturbed. Well, I, what would you dream? Uh, uh, you know, I dreamed that I was back in the king's house, and there in the king's house, uh, I was squeezing the, the fruit and pouring it out, and he, and he says, oh, in three days, you're going to be restored, and you're going to be serving wine to the king, and he says, whoop, 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 whoop. 
The other dude nearby said, well, I had a dream, and he's the baker, and he says, I see this basket, and these birds come, and they get, uh, there's all manner of uh, bread in it, and the birds come and eat the bread, and he says, oh, got good news for you, in three days, they're going to cut your head off. We think just because it's favorable for one, it's going to be favorable for us. But Joseph did say, hey, when you get to the king's house, remember me. <laughs> and he forgot him. But remember, <laughs> it's when you remember that's important. And then we know the story of Pharaoh having dreams, and he couldn't even remember the dreams, but he was disturbed about the dreams. And this is what's beautiful about Joseph. He says, I'm going to... It's that, it's that the butler remembered him, and he talked about him, and they brought, cleaned Joseph up and brought him before the king. And he says, what is it? And he says, I'll talk to God, and he'll tell me. He didn't get all hot about it. He didn't get all egotistical about it. He realized that the only way that he could know is if God told him. And so he tells the dream, you know, there's five skinny cows and, or seven skinny cows and seven that look like me and the skinny ones come up and eat the ones that look like me. And then he has another dream and there's five, there's seven fat ears of corn and then there's seven thin ears and the seven thin ones come up and eat the seven fat ones. And he says, that's your dream. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Now I remember. He says the two dreams are one. There's going to be seven years of plenty, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. What do we do? You know, find somebody that can save 20% of the harvest each year and bring it into the storehouses, and at the end of the years of plenty, you'll have enough to last through the famine. He says, where can I find somebody like that? Mm, I don't know. How about you? And it was just beginning to unfold. And it didn't stop there because we know that he ended up being in charge. And for seven years, he's there gathering. And, and the king just puts his signet ring on him. And he says, you're second in command over all of Egypt. And he gives him a wife. And, and he renames him. And, you know, and all this amazing stuff's happened in his life. And it's years later before his brothers ever come knocking on the door wanting something to eat. And of course, he plays a mind game with him for a couple of times. But ultimately, what I want us to see is the revelation that Joseph had. He said, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good to save many people alive. Amen. So Job, it was all just about him. But then we move to the other individual, Noah. It was about his family, but Joseph thought it was about him, but really it was about a nation. One individual submitting to the sovereignty of God can save a city, can save a nation, can save a world. Because Judah was saved alive. Out of Judah came the lion of the tribe of Judah. And we worship him as Jesus Christ. So if you'd stand with me, I told you it wasn't going to be exhaustive. What I'd encourage you to do this week is go read Acts chapter number 10. Go read the conversion of the Apostle Paul, Saul, in Acts chapter number 10. And then go read chapter 21 and go read chapter 27. 
And the quick version is this. He's converted. You know, he's breathing out threatening and slaughter and murder. And the bright light comes down from God out of heaven. He hears this voice and he goes into the city and then he has this vision. And God says, there's a guy going to come tell you what you need to do. And he's blind for three days. And God appears to Ananias and said, I want you to go tell him what great things he's going to suffer for my kingdom. And he's going to take my name before kings and governors. And so he does that. He baptizes him, he receives his sight, he receives the Holy Ghost, and he goes into the synagogue right away preaching God. Now remember, he's supposed to preach to the Gentiles. But he goes back to his comfort zone, which is in the synagogue. Eventually he gets to preach to the Gentiles, but I want you to get something. In chapter number 21, there's a prophet that comes to him and says, I had a dream about you. He, he, he picks up this girdle and he ties it in knots and he says, whose is this? And they said, oh, that's, that's Paul's. And he says, oh, I got news for you. I got news for you. If you go to Jerusalem, they will bind you. Whoever owns this, they'll go bound to Jerusalem. And everybody's whining and crying and saying, Paul, you can't go. You're going to suffer. And Paul says, I'm willing to go and suffer and die. But you see, he had this prophecy. You're going to take my name before kings and governors. And then he goes and gets on the boat. And then they get partway there. And he tells the captain, stay here. And he says, what's this stupid guy that's a you know, preacher telling me? To he doesn't know anything about boats. But they loose again. And they go out. And they get in the storm. And it's 13 days. And they haven't seen the sun and the moon and the stars. And then uh, Paul's praying. And he's out before God. And he's, the angel comes and says, don't worry. Just tell them all. They're going to live. But they're going to lose everything. But they're to live and of course they land on Melita they swim to the shore and there a snake bites him and all these negative people say ah he's a murderer the sea couldn't get him but the snake's going to get him but then he shakes it off into the fire and goes out at a biz about his business and they say he's a god and the king of the island is witness to and the people the whole island is converted and eventually he goes before Agrippa and Festus that Brother Anthony was teaching about recently. Let me say this. If God tells you you're going to take the, his name before kings and governors, you can't die till you do. I want you to think about the promises of God in your life. He said, I'm going to do this through you. I'm going to do this for you. And you're saying it hasn't happened yet. Well, guess what? You're going to live a while. It's going to be all right. You'll make it through. You may get sick, but you'll live. You may be crippled, but you'll live. You may be broke, but you'll live. Why? To fulfill the will and the purpose of God so many can come to righteousness. God has promised great end gathering and great harvest, and he's going to use each one of you to touch some life, and it may not be you that preaches to a thousand, but that individual may reach thousands. So is there anybody that would just like to say, okay, God, I'll surrender to your sovereignty. Dear Jesus, here I am again saying my flesh has to die. 
I must decrease so that you can increase. It's not about me, Jesus. It's about you and the lost. It's not about my will, but it's about your will. It's not about my design and my plans and my schemes, but it's about what thus saith the Lord. I surrender to your sovereignty. I say, Lord Jesus... I submit to whatever it is that you want to do in my life. And I believe you that the promises that you have given me will be fulfilled. And you will sustain me until they are fulfilled. And it will be for your glory. It will be for your honor. And it will be for the salvation of many. Because I've surrendered my life to you. My life is hid with God in Christ. It's not mine anymore, Jesus. But I surrender it fresh and new to you. I want you to work in my life. I want you to have your will. I want you to fulfill your good pleasure and purpose. In Jesus' name, we surrender fresh to you. In Jesus' name.